0: amen good morning. good morning welcome to this gathering of north hills church we are glad that you're here this morning is it just me or does this thing sound different than normal i feel like i'm in a can I am. well if you have your bibles this morning and i hope that you do i invite you to turn with me to the book of habakkuk one of the minor prophets found in the Old Testament that we've been spending some time in these past few weeks. And um am not going to lie to you, we're going to slow down just a little bit this morning. Uh, not going to be quite on the same track that uh, I originally thought we were. We just hit a good spot. So it's okay when you hit a good spot just to stay for a little while, right? Good, because that's what we're doing. Um, so this morning we're uh, continuing in Habakkuk's, Habakkuk's second complaint, if you will. Uh, So we're not going to quite wrap up chapter 1. So Lord willing, we'll wrap up chapter 1 next week as we really get into Habakkuk's complaint. Uh, But this morning, we're really not even going to get into his complaint at all, as we'll see. But we'll read uh, all of chapter 1 this morning. Uh, But by way of brief summary, because all this stuff ties together, I know we're not always able to make it each week. And so just by way of brief summary, Where we're at so far, Habakkuk, this prophet of the Lord, uh, who is um, speaking to the Lord uh, on behalf of Israel, on behalf of himself, and he is complaining to the Lord, not as one, not as we understand complaining in our uh, day and age, but as one who has these, just sees what's going on in the world around him and in Israel where he is at, and just asking the Lord, what is going on? And so we see uh, there in the beginning of chapter 1, where we started a couple weeks ago, uh, that he was lamenting, and that's an important word because Habakkuk uh, can by large be called a lament, at least in the first couple chapters here. He is lamenting over the evil that he sees all around him. He says in verse two, 2, oh O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not hear, and cry violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? Why do you idly look at wrong, destruction, and violence are before me? Strife and contention arise, so the law is paralyzed, and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Now we know there is a lot going on outside of Israel uh, with the Chaldeans or Chaldeans or Babylonians, all kind of the same People, uh, this fierce and formidable, formidable group that we're going to see, uh, especially this morning, we saw last week or especially next week. Um, but this is not ultimately what he we see in the first uh, few verses here. Really what he is lamenting about is the evil that he sees in Israel, the corrupt leadership, the fact that Israel's turned away from God yet again. And he is just wondering how long uh, the Lord is going to sit idly by. And so in summary, these first four verses in chapter 1 can be summed up with from Habakkuk, God, where are you? God, where are you? And I don't know if you've ever have prayed that or thought that or struggled with that or had your own lament and to some degree or other, I'm sure we all have. God, where are you in the midst of my suffering? Where are you in the midst of the suffering of my people or the church or of the nation or a family? But God, where are you? And in verse 1, Chapter 1, verse 5-11, through 11, we see God simply respond, I am right here. I am right here this whole time. I have not left, and I am doing a work. In uh ultimately, for his glory and for the good of his people. Now, that's not going to feel like good for his people, right? Because as he says, he is raising up this fierce nation, and he goes to these just very vivid, uh, it's very vivid imagery. Uh, the Lord does, and the Holy Spirit through Habakkuk here, his he very vivid imagery of the nation of Babylon that he is raising up to bring judgment, as we'll see uh, this morning. To the people of Israel, so God says. Habakkuk says, "Where are you, God?" He says, "I am right here," and then he explains that he's raising up the uh, the Babylonians to be this fierce, uh, ungodly force, this pagan nation that will wreak havoc not just throughout the known world, but specifically in Israel. And so we see the beginning of his second complaint this morning. Um, but what he starts with here. If I were to give a modern term and even a modern title to our message this morning is with all due respect. Now, have you been there before? Have you ever told someone with all due respect? Now, as humans, what does that usually mean? It means whatever you're about to say probably is not very respectful, right? With all due respect, let me tell you my mind, let me tell you my heart. Uh, but if you've ever had to uh, engage with someone that you had immense respect for, maybe you did say, look, with all due respect, I love you and care for you, and have all the respect in the world, but I have a genuine question. I have a genuine concern, so if you will allow me to have this conversation. So this is kind of where uh, verse 12 picks up this morning with Habakkuk. Because we see after his complaint in verses 2 through 4, God answers. He says what he's doing, and it's not enough for Habakkuk. He continues to go forward. So let's pick up in verse 12 and read through the rest of the chapters. uh, Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12 says this. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment, and you, O rock, have established them for reproof. You who are purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net and makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury, and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? And we'll end in verse 1 of chapter 2. I will take my stand at the watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me, and I will answer concerning my complaint. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this text that we find ourselves in this morning. Help us, Lord, to see and hear with eyes and ears that are yours. Would you speak to us this morning through your Spirit and help us to respond in faith and obedience. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen. So going back to verse 12 here, this is, we're going to camp this morning. When Habakkuk is, is about to engage in his second complaint with his all due respect. And so kind of, this is the respect part, if you will, for lack of better words. This is a moment where he looks to the Lord and he praises God in such a beautiful and clear way. And just to be frank with you this morning, uh, just it's good to stop for a second, right? You know, we're in the Habakkuk, which is a difficult book, which is a weighty book, which we're dealing with sin and suffering and evil, uh, both in the world and even amongst God's people. And it's just good to take a moment and let's kind of just step back and let's remember who God is. And That's ultimately what Habakkuk is doing here. He is affirming the character and very nature of God. And so in this one verse, he says so much about who God is. So going back to verse 12, he says, Are you, this is obviously Habakkuk speaking to the Lord. So are you God? Are you not from everlasting? Are you not from everlasting? Just real quick, you can flip over a couple books to Micah, another prophet. uh, Another one we call a minor prophet. It's a short book. But um, uh, Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Says it in a different way, but similar with just some, some beautiful language. Whenever Micah says to people, but you, O Bethlehem, O Bethlehem Ephrath, ah, oh, sorry, i that one, who are too literal to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days and we we sing songs occasionally to to god the ancient of days it is this picture of god that he is everlasting and he is eternal he is without beginning and he is without end he is everlasting he is eternal there is no beginning with him there is no end and that's, as he, as he thinks about that, as he, as he thinks about God being everlasting, this is not the first pagan nation that God has seen raise up, right? Now, of course, we know these actively involved. which says, I am raising up these Chaldeans. But this is not the first time God has seen this in the history of humanity. Even at that point in around 600 or so B.C., you could point to numerous nations that had, had, had risen up and just caused havoc and destruction and death throughout the known world. This is not the first one, and nor will it be the last. 2,600 years have passed since then, and we can still look to so many nations, so many people groups, so many militaries that with might have sinfully killed and destroyed people throughout the earth. So this is not God's first uprising this is not his first nation that just shows up on the the worldwide threat scene but isn't this a comfort to both the prophet Habakkuk and even to us today that we know that God has been through all this and we know that He is in control of it. We know that He has been there. We know that He knows what it's like. And he's, he's experienced this. Not that God needs to experience anything. Because He's all-knowing. He's all-powerful. Last night, sitting at dinner, just some of us thinking about some difficulties we've had over recent years or since we've been married and, and things that when you're in the midst of it, they just seem so... Uh, unnerving and so unsettling and so difficult but you know you're looking back on that right and you see how God used those times in your life you see how God has has redeemed those difficult experiences those difficulties to prepare us for both the present and even the future and so here's this everlasting God who has gone through all of this and knows what it's like to be in the midst of difficulty and it's there for us. Here is God, our eternal one, who has experienced and even brought about every moment in human history, every moment in human history, God has brought about in human history, in Israel's history, and in your own history, in your life, your past, present, and future, God has sovereignly been working to bring everything about and that's one of the things we see in Habakkuk is a reminder of his sovereignty. And so he has been there for each one and preserved Israel and has preserved you and has preserved me at every single turn. Because as we think about this everlasting sovereign God, he will never leave us and he'll never forsake us. Which brings us to his second praise. He says, are you not from everlasting, O oh Lord my God? And some of your translations will, will say instead of O oh Lord, it will say Yahweh, the covenant name of God. The name that was used to God, used of God when speaking of His covenant nature. The I Am of Israel. The I Am of His people. Here the prophet is bringing to mind this covenant relationship between god and his people that god is a covenant keeping or covenant making and a covenant keeping god this emphasis is on his promises to his people as he says oh lord my god as he says yahweh as he speaks to i am he is reminding even his own heart likely he's reminding his readers he's reminding all of those who would look at this to look at the lord who is yahweh who is a covenantal god and every promise that god makes god keeps every single one of them surely habakkuk has in mind here that god has been faithful to all of the generations of his people that he is One prophet along a long line of God's people from Habakkuk all the way back to Abraham. God has always been faithful in his covenant to his people. He has never failed them. He has never left them. And because he has been faithful to every generation of Israel, he will continue even now in the midst of the attack of the Chaldeans, in the midst of the evil uh, in in Israel itself, in the midst of corrupt spiritual leadership, God will be faithful. There's not some circumstance which God is going to begin to be unfaithful. Add another 2,600 years to this context and and to look at God's faithfulness and we continue to see and experience the great I am. And even more than God defeating the enemies of Israel and prospering Israel, we now know that the true faithfulness of God is in His Son, Jesus Christ. And not just sending Jesus, but that Jesus fully fulfilled the law. And He took on our sins and He brought forth a new covenant that is found in His blood that we remember and look to every single week. At the Lord's table. And so as we think about the God of promise. The God of covenant. That we see and understand this new covenant. That Christ brings. That we looked at in great detail. In the book of Hebrews. So he says. That God you are everlasting. And he says that you. you are this covenant keeping God. And he continues. "O Lord my God. My holy one. O Lord, my God, my Holy One. So we see that not only is Habakkuk speaking uh, of God and speaking of the nation of Israel and identifying God as a a covenant-keeping God amongst His people, amongst His nation, amongst the true Israel, but we even see this personal identity of Habakkuk and the Lord. It's not just saying, okay, God, we're your people and you're our God, but you're my God. That this this prophet who is struggling, this prophet who is in the midst of complaining to the Lord, he he is reaffirmed in his faith of God. He is reaffirmed that God is his God. And so this reminds us and encourages us that God is not just a God of a people as a whole, which he is, but he is faithful to individuals in his kingdom. He is actively at work and engaged in, in every one of his people, in every moment of our life. As you reminded this week, I was with a business owner, and he uh, owns a, a very large, if not the largest electrical uh, company in, in our area, and uh, I was visiting with him this week, and just talking about challenges of, of uh, business stuff. And he said one of his challenges was that he had over 130, 140 employees. He said he wanted to know every single employee. He said every new hire he wanted to know, he said he, wanted, he gets to work at 6 a.m. every day and wants to know what work every person is going to be doing that, de- doing that day and just wants to be engaged with his people. But as his company grows, he's just unable to do that. He's unable to be involved in the individual lives of his people. But not only does God know us and love us and care for us and is there for us and not leave us, but He is engaged with us in our day-to-day every single day. So those days that it feels like you're alone, those days it feels like the wheels are falling off this thing we call life and stress is, is elevating, to remember that He is our God. He is my God. And not only does God know us but he makes himself known to us and he does this primarily through his son through his revealed word and so like Habakkuk we can confidently say oh lord my god not only is he this everlasting god not only is he a covenantal god not only is he engaged and loves each one of us individually But he says, my holy one, are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my holy one? Now, this is a very intentional word, as all Scripture is very intentional. But he's about to to deal with this tension in the prophet's life of of evil and this holy God, as we'll see in verses 13 and and on. So the tension here is the holiness of God amidst an unholy culture. And the holiness of God amidst evil and sin and darkness. So he affirms here this characteristic of God. And we would say in the church, one of the the primary characteristics of God, that which makes God God is His holiness. And all of His ways, the defining characteristic of God is His holiness. He is completely set apart from all sin, able to do no wrong he is perfect he is righteous he is just he is holy 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 and it's it's just it's beautiful as you see in habakkuk as you see his struggle as you see him bringing these two complaints to the lord to be reminded that he knows that god is holy he doesn't understand this, this tension. He doesn't understand this dissonance, if you will, between he, know, he knows God is holy, but he sees all this evil, and, and God has clearly said, I am using these people. I'm not just using them, but I'm even, I've raised them up. I have established them in order to bring judgment to Israel and to bring destruction to the earth. So he knows that, but there's this tension that we're going to look at next week. But he knows... And oftentimes in our life, this is a great, um, a great mechanism, if you will. Whenever we don't understand things, that we, we rest on what we do know. And this is the back of resting in the holiness of God. That yes, God, you are everlasting. And yes, God, you are covenant keeping and making God. And yes, God, you are my God. But God, you are holy and you are perfect and you are blameless. And although I don't understand this, there is no sin to be put on your doorsteps because you are holy. He knows this and he doesn't question it. This is where the tension lies and we'll see next week. How can a God be holy and use such an evil people? And then there comes this great affirmation, this truth. It says, Are you not from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? We shall not die. We shall not die. There's covenant people holding to a covenant promise, that Habakkuk is, is claiming this promise that they will not die. Now this doesn't mean that some Israelites are not going to lose their life. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some of the remnant and faithful who do not physically die and lose their life, because this is inevitable. Even apart from a, a, a raiding army that set out to kill, steal, and destroy just in the course of life, especially in this time in history, life expectancy was not great. So this was not a promise that he was holding on to that he's not going to experience physical death. However, there I believe he's claiming two promises here. That one, that as a people, Israel would not be destroyed. So he says that we shall not die. Israel will not be wiped off the face of the earth. Because that was the goal to large part of the Babylonians, just to wipe people out and to take over the houses, take over their buildings and take over the, and, and loot their plunder, do all the stuff that these, this evil army would do. So as a people, Habakkuk says, we will not die. Israel will stand. Israel will survive because God is a covenant-making and covenant-keeping God. And So as a people, Israel will not be destroyed. And that's just a great hope and truth for us today, right? That The church cannot be wiped out by any administration, any reality, any attack on uh, the church. The church will stand. Now, will some lose their lives? or some losing their lives today, this morning, as we speak around the world in the global church? Absolutely. And there's a part of that that is tragic to see the church attacked and see people lose their life and to see those who are martyrs for our faith. That should cause us to groan. It should cause us to mourn and to weep for the church. But we should be also confident knowing that that is not death. That is not a permanent end. And the church will stand. Because God keeps the church. The church does not keep itself. It is not up to us to sustain the church. It is the Lord who sustains His bride. It is the Lord who protects His bride. It is the Lord who sovereignly keeps the church. We shall not die. And then, secondly, not only is it a a truth that Israel will not be destroyed, but as individuals, even in death, they would know life, eternal life. And then that's such an encouragement for us today, an encouragement for those in the 600 BC, an encouragement for those all through, those who have walked with and loved and trusted the Lord, that we will not die, that God's people, even with a target on them from the enemy, with the world at large, will not ultimately die. They cannot be destroyed. That for each of us, this is a great tension, that the worst and best thing that can happen to a believer is death. Someone said it well this week. He said, a mentor told him, he said, I'm all about taking the early flight from this life, but I'm not going to be waiting in the airport there's an element right that the worst thing that can happen to us is death but the best thing that can happen to us is death because we belong to the lord we are in his hands for if we die we live unto the lord scripture says whether we live or whether we die we are the lord's isn't that such encouragement what's the worst that man can do to you take your life that's it then you will be with the lord so he says, We will not die. Then he continues. He says, Oh Lord, you have ordained them as a judgment. You have ordained the Babylonians as a judgment. And you, O oh rock, have established them for reproof. So if it's not been clear already, it's clear that Babylon is an instrument of judgment and not destruction ultimately for Israel. So we're going to see the, the way that God is going to use the Babylonians in Israel. He's not going to destroy Israel. not going to wipe them out. But he's going to use them to bring judgment. Very soon, the Babylonians are going to show up and they're going to take Israel captive. They're going through this 70 years of captivity. God ordained and established the rising power of the Babylonians for His purposes. And ultimately, His purposes are always twofold. For His glory and for our good. Even when it doesn't feel like it's for our good, even as it doesn't feel like God is getting the glory. All that God ordains, all that God establishes, all that God brings about is for His glory and for the good of His people. So what's the purpose of the Babylonians being raised up overnight? It says, it's judgment. It says, as a reproof. We say even in our life today, for discipline, as we see in Hebrews, that God disciplines those that He loves. And so it reminds us that any pain point that is present in our life is ordained by God. Any pain point that is present in our life is ordained by God. Now that should drastically change how we see our life. It should drastically change how we see our circumstances, our suffering, our sickness, our difficulties. Whatever challenges those are with our financial Spiritual, emotional, mental, physical, medical. Any of these pain points that is present in our life is ordained and allowed by God. And He's sovereign and He's watching over us and He's keeping us. And He's holy. And He's always at work, working for the good of His people and the glory of His great name. That is a man that every difficulty we face is God's discipline. We've walked, we've walked through many times here at North Hills. But it is a reminder. It is, reminds us the truth that God is always working in every moment of our life. God is always working. He never stops. He never ceases. He is always at work in our life as believers. And there's always something to be learned and what God is doing in our life. and A new, uh, new friend that I have, a new relationship in my life, he consistently asked me, I'm not going to lie, I'll be very honest, but sometimes it's a little frustrating to me. I ask the same question. He says, John, what's the Lord teaching you in your life? I'm like, if I knew it, I wouldn't be going through this. But it doesn't change. Everything in our life, we can ask that question. What is God teaching us in this moment? And let us lean on him and look to him to learn that lesson. And then finally here is he is praising the Lord and looking to the Lord and trusting the Lord. I love this word that he uses. He says there, and you, O rock have established them for reproof. It's right before verse 13, where he turns his eyes to again, looking at the Lord and, and questioning his, his motives and trying to understand what's going on and, in lodging his, his second complaint, he says, You, O rock, he refers to God as the rock. Because God is our rock, He is the solid ground by which we stand. In the midst of discipline, pain, suffering, and any uncertainty, we have a rock that we can stand on. I don't know about you, but I can't think of God being a rock and not think about the passage that is found in Matthew. So go with me over to Matthew chapter 16. We see this idea of the rock being fleshed out. We'll start there in verse 13. Matthew 16, 13. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Hey, guys, what are y'all hearing out there? What do they say? Who, who do they say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. And so they said, look, we're hearing all the stuff, Jesus and... You know, those people talk, and they see you doing these great miracles. They see you teaching. They see you doing all these things that you're doing, and they're a little confused. They're saying different things. They're saying Jeremiah, Isaiah, prophets, and all these things. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? He says, it doesn't matter what the rumor mill is. It doesn't matter the misunderstandings, but who do you, disciples, who do you say that i am you're the ones that i've been with for these past three years and walking with and and doing all these things with and you're 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 getting to know who i am so who do you say that i am old simon peter always quick to respond and cut off people's ears he replied you are the christ the son of the living god wow right That's who Jesus is. He is the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So he didn't arrive at this just because he's been hanging out with Jesus. He didn't arrive at this because he's smart. He didn't arrive at this because he guessed. He didn't arrive at this for any other reason. But my Father who is in heaven, and I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And like we encountered a couple weeks ago with misunderstood passages, this ranks probably in the top ten. Maybe over the years I'll identify 25 in the top ten. But this, he's not saying that Peter is the rock. He's not saying that the church is going to be established by some made-up popery here. But what he's saying the rock is, is his testimony. What he's saying that the rock that the church will stand on and be built on is a testimony that Peter gives. And that testimony is that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so when Habakkuk says that you are the rock, we see in Matthew that the rock is the testimony of Jesus, that He is the Son of the living God, that He is Christ, that He is Redeemer, that He is the Messiah, that He is our hope. That is the rock in which we rest. That is the rock in which we placed our hope. That the rock is Christ. And that our confession in him is what the church stands on. So Habakkuk clearly and genuinely praises the Lord here. He clearly he has, he has a very clear complaint that he's going to lodge against God again. He's done one, he's about to do the second, as we'll look at it next week. Before he does so, he affirms, he affirms the very character and nature of God. He affirms who God is. And we see Habakkuk kind of grow in the midst of this small book. And we're going to see how he comes at the end of this and how the Lord works in him and does a work in him. But we see that he is looking to God as the rock, he is looking to God as his hope, as the Holy One, as the, the Redeemer, as the one who is a covenant keeping God. He is everlasting. And so he affirms the very character and nature of God. In the midst of discipline, in the midst of pain, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of any uncertainty, we have a rock that we can stand on. However, Habakkuk still has this unresolved issue in his mind and heart. How can this holy and all-powerful God knowingly use such a sinful and wicked nation such as Israel? And we'll see next week the rest of this passage. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for a chance to again turn to Habakkuk. I thank you, Lord, for a chance that we can be reminded of who you are. And that, God, when there are things that we don't understand and things we don't get and things that we get lost in, that, Lord, may we go back to these truths. Your character, who you are, that you are everlasting. Father, that we can look to Christ who is our rock. That We can be encouraged by the Holy Spirit that fills us. And we are not left alone. So as we continue this morning and worship through singing and worship through giving and as we worship through coming to the communion table, may, may we have on our minds and hearts You. May we be stirred this morning in our affections for Christ and who He is. We thank You, Lord, and we pray these things in Your great name. Amen.